Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace. Voices for Mental Health. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and today my guest is Lisa Wesner, a molecular biologist for the Department of Defense and a play producer. Welcome, Lisa, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, I'm going to start with a question about your career. What does a molecular biologist do? So the, the shortest answer is, is we look at human DNA. And uh, my career path in that has been, uh, originally I was a cancer researcher. Uh, the last one that I was working on was bone metastasis and breast and prostate cancer and how does the DNA cause the proteins to create the cancer and, and things along those lines. And then I transitioned into forensic science. So I was doing um, crime scene investigation. Oh wow, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does a scientist become a play producer? That's a very good question. It certainly wasn't a plan of mine, really. It's just uh, my progression through healing and understanding my depression got me to the point where I was ready to talk about things more, uh, which is why I'm sitting here with you, and uh, kind of find a way to be a mental health advocate in a different way. And in looking online to uh, find something to volunteer with, I found the nonprofit called This Is My Brave. They've been around since 2019, and they basically put on live storytelling productions where they find a local cast to audition for a show, and and they tell their mental health struggles and, and recovery stories. And so my thought originally was to bring that program to Charlottesville. And I started that maybe a year and a half ago now um but i I was having trouble getting traction in charlottesville with that and was having a hard time getting some external support as well and so right about the time when i was ready to give up i was introduced to the harrises so sharon and jessica harris and they basically gave me a new lease on optimism and excitement about this and so we've We've kind of moved away from This Is My Brave, per se, into our own sort of smaller version of a show. It's going to be rural-focused, so it's going to be out in Fluvanna County. Um, And we're talking about in Virginia for the mm -hmm. the audience that uh, may not be familiar with Charlottesville or Fluvanna County. So you said you suffer from depression. Yes. How long have you suffered from depression, or when were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed in graduate school, so 1995. Probably was suffering before then, but it was easy to just blame it on being a teenager. Um, But in in graduate school, I had just, uh, I had been a swimmer my entire career, and um, didn't really realize how much that was keeping me afloat. Yeah, no pun intended. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But once that was gone and I went to Tennessee for graduate school, I didn't know anyone in there. Swimming was gone, and that was my first major depressive episode. Uh, I had a suicide note written. I had a plan. um, And the night before I was going to, my plan was to go hike the Smokies, because I'd never done it before, come back, find a hotel room, a lot of alcohol, a lot of pills. Um, But I woke up the night before just, sobbing hysterically and finally realizing this is not how life is supposed to be lived and so went to the mental health um, counselor at at University of Tennessee and and that started my depression journey. 
Well, no pun intended. Again, that was very brave of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, when you had written the note, what was going through your head? If that, you remember. Yeah, I do. It was, um, it was super bizarrely rational. Uh, my first thought was, no one will... My first thought was, I can't do this anymore. I, di- I just can't. This pain is just not how a person is supposed to live. I can't do it anymore. I'm done. My second thought was, well, shit, if I do that, I need to make sure that, like, everything's tied up. So I had my note written, and, like, here's my bank statement. Here's all my adulting stuff that needs to be taken care of. Um, And and I guess the third thought when I woke up sobbing hysterically is, um, and it wasn't, it was never about me. It was, I can't do this to my mom. And that was... That was pretty much it. It certainly wasn't. It certainly wasn't me who kept me here. It was external factors. Because what I've read and what I've heard is when people commit suicide, and they're at that point in their depression, and they just can't deal with the pain anymore, that they don't think about other people. Yeah, I, I yeah, I somehow had that one little, that one little thread was was still there. So let's talk about the depression journey, mm. mm-hmm. which I'm assuming included therapy. It did. It still does. Uh, it's been, I think it wasn't until the last three years, pan, the pandemic uh, has really, uh, it, for me, it was, a, a, air quotes, good, good period of time. Uh, so I've been in therapy off and on since I was depre- uh, diagnosed with the depression and most of the time, I think almost all the time, it was CBT, so the, the behavioral, like just talk about it. And I didn't know there were other kinds of therapy. I just knew that this doesn't seem to be doing anything. I can talk about this till the cows come home and nothing is changing. And so it wasn't until the pandemic, um, I got some new treatment, which we can talk about, uh, but found a trauma therapist um, unexpectedly through a friend of a friend of a friend found a trauma therapist and and that's been life-changing honestly for me so then can we say that your depression is due to trauma so i that's that's a really good question and i think that's something that should be talked about more uh yes i i did not when i went to my therapist and realized she was a trauma-based therapist it probably took about three months for me to be okay with what she was talking about. I did not have a traumatic childhood, wasn't abusive. I had everything I needed. I got to travel a lot. Uh, But there's the big T trauma and the little T trauma that I never understood. So my trauma would be the thousand little cuts that I grew up in an environment that wasn't necessarily what was best for me as a sensitive kid and it just kind of started adding up and I started shutting down and depression came in. How did that affect your, your professional career? So holistically, I would say it didn't. Uh, I'm one of, of those high functioning depressives that gets said a lot. Uh, I can't discount that. I never woke up and didn't go to work. 
I woke up and had long discussions with myself of getting out of bed and going to work, but I, I, I never, it never affected me that way. It could affect me in interactions at work. Uh, I was misunderstood a lot if I was in a depressive episode. Uh, I, I'm not very outgoing to begin with. I'm kind of an introvert and you add on some layers of depression and anxiety. I could, I could just kind of stay in my work zone, but productivity wise, uh, it, it didn't affect it bizarrely enough. Okay, well, we've asked about the career and the business life. What about personal? It certainly affected that. I, uh, particularly in college, um, college was actually my first major depressive episode because my junior year, I had shoulder problems and couldn't swim as much as I thought that I would be able to at that point in time. I took it out on friends a lot. Um, I didn't understand what was going on inside. Uh, I lost uh, a handful of friends just because it, it turned into lashing out against people. Um, well, that seems like it would make sense. Yeah. Probably because you're lacking the ability to communicate and maybe trying not to be so vulnerable. Yep. Couldn't, uh, I'm horrible at identifying feelings and emotions. I'm just now figuring that out and I'm 50. Uh, that, that's been a, like, I'm, I'm just like, how, how are you feeling? Like, what emotion? I don't know. I couldn't, I didn't have labels for emotions. Was emotions blocked in your family or? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because I can relate because I come from a childhood where we were not allowed to talk about our feelings. Yep, definitely. And so that does stay with you. It does. That, that, would, be, that would be the little trauma for me, right? <laughs> like, I'm a sensitive kid. Um, my brother, one of my brothers was like nine years older than me and he's, he was a wrestler and he would, he would pick on me and I would cry and my mom would say, well, if you didn't cry, he wouldn't pick on you. And, and, you know, as an eight year old kid, when your brother is basically bullying you and your mom's not sticking up for you, that just, you know, and you're there. Well, okay, well, I can't, I can't be weak is, is the, the, the underlying message. Yep. Yep. I can't be weak. Yep. Talk about your swimming, because it sounds like that was a big part of your childhood. And yeah. were you a collegiate swimmer then? I was, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, started swimming when I was six. Um, tried a, a couple other sports in there until I finally stuck with swimming. But for me, uh, it, it just was, you know, practices were like two hours long in the morning and the ev- in the evening, uh, especially when you get up into high school and college. And it was just this time where that was almost the only time where my mind was quiet you just get in the zone and all you're doing is trying to figure out your stroke and 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 get better with your time and there's no room for the loud that like my depression uh, in trying to describe it to people was like this static that was always in my brain and swimming was one of the few times that it wasn't there so when you say static do you literally mean static or like just a lot of conversation and a lot of thought no, uh, literally like this white noise of static. It, it, hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can have this, like, the, the negative self-talk and, and right. whatnot. That, that certainly is there and, and poor internal narratives. But in general, it just has it felt like it felt wrong. So you mentioned uh, your mother and your brother. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a father? Yeah, he passed away in 2004. And what was your relationship like with him? I didn't really have one. I think uh, our connection was through sports, but 
uh, it was just wasn't a very affectionate, huggy family. And so I don't recall, it, it wasn't a bad relationship. It just wasn't a connected one, I guess. And you said you were a sensitive kid. Obviously yeah. being bullied probably contributed to that, I'm assuming. It's funny. Not, I, I wasn't as in school. I wasn't bullied in school, and I think that's just because I kept to myself with my swim team, and they were my family, and we looked out for each other. And you had to give up swimming because of a bad shoulder? Uh, that, and by the end of college, I was just burned out. Um, so I started playing rugby. <laughs> what, what I know about does. rugby is it sounds like a very dangerous <laughs> sport. It's, uh, I actually hurt myself more playing soccer after that, ironically enough. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What would you tell other younger children who are struggling with depression since you have started or are on an ongoing journey mm. to get better? Yeah. Man, that's all. That's a. Uh, it's a. The simplest version of it is is the messaging of it's okay to not be okay, and but I just don't know how. I don't know how to get that to stick for people because it's just hard you know the stigma against it in society is you know I can say that but it's hard to believe that that's true sometimes so one of the conversations I had recently with a friend is her explaining to work that she had a mental illness mm. particularly depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and she felt like it backfired on her mm. have you ever come out to work about your situation yeah I'm I am very open about it now I think in the it's been probably this job with with the in the Department of Defense it's been uh, I was a, a contractor for a while with the same mission space and now I'm a government employee same mission so when you mentioned your depression to your co-workers and employers how did they respond I didn't actually give them the opportunity to respond poorly. And I don't think I, it, it wasn't a, hey, I need to talk to you about this. I, I have depression and, and interestingly now with the depression better managed, I notice anxiety more, which is probably why I'm fidgeting now. Uh, but I just talk about it. I just talked about my mental health and made it okay for other people to talk to me about my mental health. I think the biggest thing that I did, uh, we had, um, I think it was in 2020, had a colleague at, at work who committed suicide. Oh, and no. it, it was devastating. It was, it was everyone was like, we, we, one of those guys, you wouldn't think it because he was, loved his job, very outgoing, always said hello. And, and so, but some of it's the environment, right? It's military. It's the Department of Defense. It's military. You don't talk about shit. And so I tried to bring in a mental health, um, mental wellness nonprofit to talk to people about it. And that was kind of like where it was, that was me being very obvious about my being a mental health advocate at work. And it was, it was well received, poorly attended, but well received. And then I just went from there. But at work, I just, I talk about, it. I talk about how my therapy's working and, and the things that I learn in therapy that I think might help my coworkers and, uh, yeah, I guess, um, and with, with This Is My Brave, when I was starting that particular path before switching to to the show for Fluvanna County, um, I asked people for donations. I'm just, I'm very, it doesn't do me any good to not talk about it, and it doesn't do society any good to not talk about it. Agreed. So I just challenge, I've started challenging people. 
Yeah. But it also sounds like you started challenging yourself, being an introvert. Yes. Yes, I have. And do you feel like that's been helpful on your journey? The challenging myself? Yes. Sure, yeah. I don't think I would be sitting here if I didn't. I mean, you've been trying to get me here for a bit. Like, Yes, I have. <laughs> since we met, maybe a year ago, I guess. I think so. Um, so I don't know what it was. I guess 2023, I decided to put my big girl britches on and say, I'll do it. Uh, so yeah, I... I don't think it serves me being in the background anymore. Well, and I think it serves the community, the the public to raise awareness. That's why we do what we do here at Speaking Candidly with Candace. Yes. That's why I was a big fan when I heard you were doing the play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, This is my brave. So tell me about the new project, the play that you're producing in Savannah County. I'm super excited about it. Uh, We decided to switch it. So... Um, I had my, my director and, and her mom, who is my catch-all. I don't have a title for her. I should probably work on that. But we decided to switch it to Fluvanna County uh, because Sharon has the, an in with the Fluvanna County Arts Council. So we can, we've got Carysbrook Arts Center where we can put on the show. It's going to be rural-focused because uh, mental health in the rural community is really not talked about. And it's a very underserved community, right? Fluvanna, the closest city in Fluvanna is Lake Monticello, and that's a 25-minute drive. There's Most people for mental health resources have to drive into town, right? There's not a lot in the area. So uh, anyway, we decided to make it a, kind of like a homegrown uh, play. Same, same sort of format, but homegrown. It's called Always Already Enough, Flipping the Script on Mental Illness. I'm super excited about that. The, that's been one of the things that I've learned in therapy is, is that who I am as I am is always already enough. Um, I have it as a tattoo in my arm now. That's how, that's how much I believe in that message. And so, yeah, it's going to be the same principle. We're going to have some auditions coming up. Um, there's going to be a interest sh- um, meetings next month, I think. I don't, I don't remember the dates right offhand, but to try and get a cast of local people who are at a place in their recovery where they're brave enough to stand up on stage and, and talk about it. I, I think I'm being wrangled into being one of those people to talk on stage. I don't know how that happened. Um, but yeah, and so then the, the proceeds, there's gonna be two beneficiaries now. One is on our own in Charlottesville for their, their peer recovery mission. And then the other one, uh, it's a nonprofit called Empowered Players. That's um, the my director Jessica's nonprofit. It's an amazing uh, nonprofit that basically brings arts to students in Fluvanna County who might not have access to it otherwise. And she does great. She does great stuff. So I'm really excited about the beneficiaries and the show and and everything about it. That is phenomenal. Thank you. That really is exciting, and Thank I you. can't wait to uh, see it and. Yeah. Also support you with our financial donation oh, to the project. Thank you. Which we can talk about after the podcast. Yeah, fantastic. But, uh, I like it. The fundraising part, though, I think that's got to be very difficult. It is. It was very difficult with, with um, just Charlottesville and This Is My Brave. And I just, I didn't get traction. I, I had people who were interested. Uh, Santerra sounded interested. And then the more, I just, it's like people just fall off the radar, which was frustrating. And so now... Because it's through the Fluvanna Arts Council, um, some of the, the stress and strain of having to do fundraising is, is off my plate. And so I can use the resources I had created to GoFundMe. Uh, so I've got the, the friends who donated to that. That money is, is to help with the front end of 
um, the fundraising needs that that are required for the show, and then can and go for incidentals and whatnot, and then all the ticket sales will be um, split between the two beneficiaries. So the need for for fundraising is not as severe as it was before. Do you have a website or social media page? I'm working on it. I don't have a new one yet. I was going to do a new Facebook page uh, for the for the show. Because yeah, we would like people to be able to contact yeah. you and find out more information That'd be through fantastic. our podcast. So when you get that information, please pass it along yep. to me. Uh, that's one of my to-do lists. So how do you balance depression, your career as a microbiologist? Molecular. Molecular, sorry. <laughs> I knew I messed that up. <laughs> I knew I would, and I, we talked about that earlier, and I did. So, And being a play producer now. That's a very good question, and uh, <laughs> I think it's just I, I I just tend to wing things sometimes, right? I don't I I don't have an option to not balance things, and I don't know how I do it. I just you know during the week I know I have to get up and and get to work. During the weekends, some weekends I have the energy to work on the show and, and my to do list, and some weekends I don't. And if I don't have the energy or the um, focus, I just don't work on it and. Um, the depression uh, is is managed right now. Uh, I alluded to it earlier, but during the pandemic, I was also afforded the opportunity to do the transcranial magnetic stimulation, so TMS, and and that's been a game changer for me as well. So between that treatment and the trauma based therapy, my depression's managed better, which makes it easier to manage the other things. So I haven't heard you mention any kind of medication. So you're not taking any. Oh, medication? I do still take medication because I I don't know. I don't know if it's. I, I think most people with depression or mental health do this. They they kind of cycle on and off because they go through phases where I'm like I don't think I need this anymore, and I've certainly have done that. For quite a bit of my journey, and and now. It's possible maybe that I don't need it, but I don't know that I trust taking the chance that I don't. Um, so what do you so think, I still take it. What do you think of the stigma to medication? I'm not a fan. Uh. Fair response. <laughs> uh, but how do we get away from that stigma, I guess, is what I'm hmm. asking. Uh, well, I guess... For me, in my small way, I just, again, I just tell people I'm, I take meds. I take Pristique and Wellbutrin. I take it every morning. I haven't not taken my meds for probably since 2019, which is a long time to, I've just accepted it. And me accepting it and telling people, well, yeah, I take things. And, and you know, running into friends who, who also have depression and, and who are, are feeling like nobody else gets it and me talking to them and saying I take meds is, is opening up the, and breaking the stigma for people with depression too. It's not just society, it's the people with depression to understand that it, you know. It's okay, it's okay. to not be okay. <laughs> exactly. It's okay to take medication Absolutely. for it. yes. Because I do have yes. a, a good friend whose son hasn't been diagnosed, mm. um, but certainly showing signs of depression, anxiety, bipolar, mm -hmm. all of those things, and refuses to seek help and refuses mm -hmm. to get medication because of the stigma. Yeah. It's, I mean, I hate to say it, 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 it's a personal journey, and sometimes it's just you have to break to realize that you need help 
fixing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wish it wasn't that way. It certainly was with me. I mean, I, I just thought I was, I, I don't even know what I thought I was, but I certainly didn't think I was broken until I wrote a suicide note and had a plan to kill myself. That's, that's a, a very desperate place to be, and it just wasn't what I wanted anymore. Where is that suicide note today? I did not keep that. Yeah. I don't know what I did with it, but I certainly don't have it. And I assume you never shared it with anybody? Nope. I mean, I've, I've certainly talked about it as far as, you know, this is how I ended up on this path. But I, I never showed anyone it. And you shared your suicidal thoughts and near suicide with your family members? Mm, probably my two sisters. Certainly not my... Uh, um, yeah, I'm closest with my sisters. I don't think I would have told... I certainly didn't tell my parents. Um, what was your sister's reaction? What did they say? So I have a horrible memory. I think uh, that's... Uh, depression has affected my memory. So I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I certainly didn't feel judged. I think it was more of a... I didn't realize you were in so much pain, sort of hurt on their part. Um, That's what I was but, hoping that yeah. they would, you yeah. felt that compassion and yes. understanding and, yes. and shock a yes. little bit and surprise. Yep, but definitely but, supported. And then I, 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 I vaguely recall saying, how would you know? I never talked about it. Why, right. why you can't feel bad for something you didn't know about. And I think that's the problem with mental illness in general is people holding in all that yes. pain and those feelings and those emotions yes. because they feel like they're going to be judged. Yes. And in your situation, you were not. I was not, at least with, with the people in my family that I chose to tell. <laughs> I think I knew that otherwise I, the, anyone else I might have told, I, I might have received a different response and I didn't want mm. to go there. Yeah. What well, is about self-discovery? Yeah. What is the biggest lesson you've learned so far about yourself through all of this? Ooh. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote my my therapist on this one because it is a truth that I'm still trying to take in, but that my worth, our worth as a person, is non-transactional. Doesn't matter what I do outside. Things don't matter. Work doesn't matter. But just inherently, who I am. Again, I'm all, I'm always already enough. I think that's been the biggest thing. Again, I, it's a tattoo. <laughs> I should hope that that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned about myself is, is, is that. And what about your younger self? And I know in therapy, and mm. I've gone through therapy, they always say, talk to your younger self. <laughs> Have you had that conversation with your younger <laughs> self? Uh, so that particular avenue of therapy, and uh, that hasn't stuck yet. I, I, yeah, that one, I, I have not had conversations with little Lisa yet. It just feels awkward to me, and I don't know how to get to that place. Well, I'm going to try to help you a little bit by asking the next question. <laughs> Great. What would you say to little Lisa today that she should know from your journey mm. to an adulthood? Mm. I'm gonna steal my, something from my therapist again. It's I'm okay. telling you, she's, she's been amazing for me. Uh, I have grown up and 
to this day, I struggle with the, with the notion that I'm too much. I'm too sensitive. I'm too needy. Just too much. And, and my therapist has challenged me with the notion that maybe it's not that you're too much. Maybe it's just you've been put in a container that's been too small your whole life. And that's been kind of like this really neat reversal of how I look at things. So I wasn't too much at a, as a kid. I wasn't too sensitive, too artistic, to anything. I just was in an environment that didn't know how to encourage that in me. Well, exactly. And as a kid, we don't even know what too needy is or too much yeah. is or any of those things. Yep. But I certainly felt it. Like it seemed like the, it seemed like the environment and the, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, no crying, no, no weakness, certainly to me in feeling, I don't, again, memory's poor, but I just have this like body feeling, you know, body keeps score, this sense of I learned that I was too much. Have you read any books or blogs that you would recommend to other people? So, yes, absolutely. Uh, well, in, in just what I said a second ago, The Body Keeps Score. That, that's that, why I brought yep, that up because the title I, I figured, came very familiar. I figured that's where that, that question came from. So that one I absolutely would, would recommend because it's true. It's and another thing that doesn't get talked about very much, but, you know, the body is a, is a mechanism that's designed to help you survive. And sometimes the only way to do that if you don't know how to talk about things, is to internalize it, and the body remembers it. Um, kind of uh, along the same lines, uh, I don't know if you or the audience is familiar with Gabor Mate. I'm not. Uh, he is a, uh, he's an addiction, well, he, he was a um, maternity doctor, the, <laughs> I don't know, whatever that one's called, but he does... Um, addiction uh, and and trauma therapy now he's got I can't remember the he's got a new book out I can't remember the name of it he's got a lot of YouTube uh, videos and whatnot um, he put out a movie recently actually but but basically the notion that um, auto autoimmune response autoimmune diseases and and um, is is the result of internalized trauma and he he I, I would recommend him as a resource. And his name again? Gabor Mate. M-A-T-E is the last name. He's from Hungary, I think. Um, yeah, he's a doctor, a physician in, in Vancouver. In Vancouver. Yeah. Well, well, you have been certainly very candid with us about your It's a good thing I came journey. on a candid show. Candid with candid it show. Is. Then. I, I did it right. Well, we, <laughs> we, we appreciate that. Thank you. Um, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you feel like would be helpful to the audience or someone who is struggling with depression? Uh, I, would, I would love to say that, that maybe look into the TMS treatment. That, that was, now, to be fair, it's, it is expensive. I am extremely fortunate to have very good health insurance to have been able to, to do that and the pandemic afforded time to, to do it. Uh, but, but it, it, that treatment, that, that addressing the, the brain neuropathways from a electrical sense rather than a neurotransmitter sense has been for me, the treatment that has been most effective. Medication kept me less bad, 
TMS, almost, I would, I would almost call it a remission to a certain degree. That's fantastic. Yeah. But even to get a little bit of help and a little bit of relief from depression, it's mm-hmm. got to go a long way. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So even with the, even with the meds, like I said, they, they, they made me less bad. But I, but I know that when I wasn't on them, when I was thinking I could do without them, I was way worse. So less bad might not be what you think normal should be, but it's better than shitty. <laughs> well, Lisa Wesner, thank you again for being our guest today on Speaking Candidly with Candace. So appreciate your willingness to share your story to help others. Thank you. I, I appreciate the invite. I appreciate your, uh, your stick to itness to get me here. <laughs> well, all the best on the play, and Thank I will you. be there. What is the date of the play? Just May 6th, actually. May 6th. Yeah. Okay. In Fluvanna County. Yes. Carysburg, in Virginia. Yep. Carysburg Performing Arts Center. The information provided by Speaking Candidly with Candace is for general information purposes only and is not a substitute for professional advice. If you or someone you know is having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Crisis Hotline 988 or the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-TALK. This program is produced by Shoner Communications and paid for in part by the generous support of individual and corporate donations. If you would like to support this program, please visit our website, mentalfitnesssupport.com. And remember, every cloud has a silver lining.